Last week, I had the opportunity and the honor to speak to you about the five different assignments of the Lord. And in the aftermath, um, I just felt like the Lord uh, took me to another sermon uh, that was spoken in Nexus to our young adults. So young adults, I apologize uh, that you'll be hearing this the second time, but we just, I just bless it to go deep. And, uh, but for the rest of you, today's sermon is entitled Three Habits of activated people. As I was preparing for this sermon, someone mentioned, I believe it was a staff meeting, I can't remember where I heard this, but someone mentioned, what do we mean when we say activated? And I said, oh, that's easy. Hold on a second, it's coming to me. It's real simple. And I, I don't know if we've really defined our term. Here, we're in the midst of a series called Activated. Well, what does that mean? Activate. What does it mean to be activated? And so I looked it up and it very simply means to make something active or operative, which I believe infers purpose. If we have purpose, then we must be activated so that we can accomplish that purpose. My second question as I was thinking about the definition of activate was, is it scriptural? <laughs> If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it says, all these, speaking of the gifts and the spiritual gifts, are activated. ESV translates that as empowered by one and the same spirit. And the word there, the Greek word that is translated as empowered or activated means is energeo. And in that word, you can hear energy. God wants to energize you for your purpose. It means to be operative to be at work, to put forth power to be effective. Each and every single one of us have a purpose and God wants to infuse your life with the power to be effective. How many of you want to be effective in your purpose? Raise your hand. Very good. Okay, some of you didn't, but that's okay. I pray God's Holy Spirit would inspire you today. God wants to energize us. I don't want to be the type of person, and listen, I've experienced this when I wake up in the morning and I think, here we go, another day. And you ask, how are you doing? And we say, great, but really we don't feel great. We just feel like we're, we're just putting our head down and we're trudging along. But God wants to energize you for your purpose today. That's what we mean when we say activate. We, don't, we can be people full of victor, victory, hope, joy, because we're energized by the power of God's spirit for our purpose. God wants to activate you today, Antioch Church. And thinking about that, you know, there's no one in all of history that exemplifies an activated life like that of Jesus Christ. I didn't write this into my sermon, but it just came to me during worship that in my studies at Oral Roberts University, I was in a class called Luke Acts and uh, we identified a certain theme that you see Luke write. And that is this very small word that we overlook so often called must. And in it, I have my little textbook from college. And I just want to read to you a little bit. Is that okay? You guys still with me? Yeah. Must. 
It's the Greek word day. It occurs 44 times in Luke and writings, meaning Luke and Acts, out of the 102 times that it appears in the New Testament. The Lucan must expresses God's governing providence in the life of Jesus, as well as the necessity of accomplishing his father's salvific will. What is that saying? There was a divine calling on God's life and there was a must in him. And so he uses this word, Luke uses this word strategically to describe God's providence in his life concerning purpose. For example, in Luke chapter two, verse 49, this is when Jesus' parents couldn't find him. They left him. So they go back, they find him in the synagogue teaching as a small boy. And they said, do you not know what you did to us? We're in anxiety over you. And he says, he said to them, why are you searching for me? Did you not know I must be about my father's work? I must be, there's a divine rising up in his spirit. He says, I've got to do this. I must do this. And again and again, Luke expresses this divine purpose in Jesus's life throughout his gospel. In Luke chapter four, verse 43, as the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to Jesus. And he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Demons also came out of many shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, he departed. I just want to stop there. So here we see Jesus ministering, activated, anointed, powerful. It says at sunset, he begins to do all these things, all these miracles. And then at daybreak, implication being he ministered throughout the night. And the crowds, it says at daybreak, he departed and went to a deserted place. How many of you know that if you worked through the night, which some of you I'm sure have, the next day you want to get a little rest. You want to get away. I'm going to go to a deserted place called my bedroom. And I'm just going to lay down my head for a little while. But it says the crowds were looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities. I must go. I must do this. He was experiencing a level of success and fame, but because he had this divine must driving him along in the purposes of God, he lived a lifestyle of activity, of being activated. And I think when we see this divine must, we are seeing a life that has been activated. Do you agree? There are more verses on that. But this morning, knowing that Jesus is the picture of an activated life, I want to submit to you that there are three habits that we see consistently in the life of Jesus. And in fact, there is a phrase that is only referenced three times in the New Testament concerning Jesus's life. And it was, as was his custom. There are three things that Jesus did again and again that his disciples, those who were close to him, recognized and said, this, this is his custom. This is what he did. Every day he did these things. This was the style of his life. And I believe it is these three things that it opened the window for that divine must to take a hold of Jesus's life so that he would not be distracted by 
success, that he wasn't distracted by fear. He wasn't distracted. He said, I must go because I'm activated. And I want to share with you these three, as was his customs, these three customs, these three habits. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter four, verse 16. Luke chapter four, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his, come on, say it with me, custom. Some of the, I'm reading from the NASB and I understand that, but just bear with me. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. And we know from that story that he reads from Isaiah. He reads the scripture. I believe number one, the first custom of an activated person is reading his word. It is simply reading and abiding in the word of God. I was reading from the journal of E. Stanley Jones. He was a missionary hero to India and also to America. And he writes that God must have the freedom in our lives to interpret himself. Scripture then becomes the objective window through which we see God. I know two brilliant Christians, he writes, who come to the daily morning devotions without their Bibles. They can meditate, they say. They are both shallow. When I read that, I thought, whoa, easy, Mr. Jones. But this, he goes on to say, for they meditate God to themselves through their own thinking. They become the mo their own medium. They do not go to God direct as they imagine. They go through their own thinking. They become the mediator. That is why we have to have the revelation of God through the word. It's too easy. If we never go to God's word, if we're not daily abiding in God's word, it's too easy for us to make God in our own image. Romans chapter 12, verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Metamorphose, metamorpho is the Greek word there, to be totally, radically transformed into something different than you were in quality before by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God. And isn't that what we're talking about this morning? The will of God for us today. I wrote in my journal, in order for transformation to happen, we must learn how to submit ourselves to the tutelage of the truth. If we can't submit to its power, we will force the truth to submit to us. We will shape it, forcing the truth into the very image of our brokenness so that the truth serves us. The will of God then becomes a reflection of our own personal desires rather than our desires being a reflection of God's will for our lives. At some point we have to say, okay, God, your word is the plumb line of my thoughts concerning you. Your word is, God, it, it defines me. It defines my theology. My thoughts of you are in alignment with your word. And, it was, and, and so my question to you this morning is, 
Would the people who are closest to you describe Bible reading as your custom? It's an elementary truth, but I think it's one we can get away from. I know for me that I can get away from it where, where once I was reading the Bible daily, it becomes three times a week and then once a month. And then who knows how long because the busyness of life and the worries of life begin to spring up and choke out the word of God, which was given to me. We need to reevaluate what is important. We need to reevaluate our lives in this context. I believe, okay, just if Jesus is the foundation of our walk with him, I believe then habits begin to build the structure of our house. The wise man built his house upon the, the rock, the foolish man, the house upon, and the rains came down and the floods came up. How many of you remember that? And it's interesting because Jesus says, and we, 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 we talk about, I got to build my house upon the rock. I got to build my house upon the rock. And then Jesus so wonderfully and powerfully says, the man who hears my word and does it is the one who builds upon the rock. And I believe that God's word to us today is that word. When he says, this is my word. And are we abiding on it? Is it a part of who we are? I remember I was, man, this is a while back, college years, but I, I, uh, I had this weakness and many of the young adults in the room will know what I'm talking about, but I had this propensity for wasting time in college and staying up to three and four in the morning. And I wish I could tell you it was studying, but it wasn't. <laughs> And uh, I remember it was, you know, we'd do all kinds of crazy things. We'd go to Whataburger. And if you're from the South, you know what that is. It's a little place that promotes heart attacks in the form of a burger. We would, we would watch movies. And one of the things that I would do to my shame and chagrin is I would play video games till three and four in the morning. And uh, there was this one particular game I, I would just play so much and in the game I had this rifle and I know this may seem silly but just follow me I would look and, and you know you look through a scope and you would zoom in and there was a scope and you guys I played it so much one Saturday night, I played it till way early in the morning. I got up for church. I'm, I'm excited, God, to spend time with you. And I got into worship. And every time I closed my eyes, all I could see was a scope. All I could see, I was like, whoa. Every time I closed my eyes, all I could, and you know, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, if you abided in my word, what would you see when you close your eyes? Are you spent? I mean, I just thought to myself, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you could discern, so that you can see. I can abide so much in a video game that I see a scope. What would it be like if I abided in his word so much that when I went to sleep at night, I would dream of his word and I would get up and I would be able to see every time I closed my eyes, I would see his word. And every time I opened them, that would just, it would be the lens through which I saw life and work and family. 
Dr. Howard Atwood Kelly was a professor in the 1900s at Johns Hopkins University. Writes this in his journal, he says, such reading applied with an honest heart transforms the nature, enables the prostitute to love holiness and become an angel of mercy. It raises the beggar and the drunkard to set them among the princes of the earth. The Bible vindicates itself because it is such excellent medicine. It has never failed to cure a single patient if only he took his prescription honestly. This morning, I submit to you that we must take the prescription of God's word on a daily basis. We must look over our lives and say, God, I need to renew the value of reading your word. No Christian is sound who is not scriptural. Let me say that again. No Christian is sound who is not scriptural. Scripture provides the framework through which God can speak to us and we know it's God. How many of you know God speaks to you today? We must have God's written word to balance his spoken word. Let's move on. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Verse 39, and he came out and proceeded as was his, we all said, custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you may not come into the time of trial. And what we see here is when Jesus prayed with the disciples, he said, why don't you pray? And he goes over and he weeps before the Lord, sweats, drops of blood, and he comes back to the disciples. And the very ones who were closest to him are asleep. And he says, could you not tarry one hour? Could you not pray with me for one hour? I think, I think the second custom that we see in Jesus' life is finding the, the, finding the, solitude, uh, the solitary place and praying. We must become a people who can find the solitary place, be it at work, be it in the car, but we can center in and find the inner solitude of our spirits and pray. Can those closest to you describe your custom as prayer? It was Pastor Dan's custom to pray. Can they say that about me? Can they say that about you? Leonard Ravenhill writes, the scriptures say that the disciples went to bed, but Jesus went to pray, as was his, and we all said, custom. It was his custom to pray. Now, Jesus was the son of God. He was definitely anointed for his ministry. If Jesus needed all that time in prayer, don't you and I need time in prayer? We need to make prayer the custom of our lives. When we become divorced from prayer, abiding, praying, and abiding in God's word and praying on a, 
on a habitual basis. I believe that divine must begins to wither within us. Leonard Ravenhill continues, he says, the other evangelists say, Jesus went on a mount and he was transfigured. Luke says, it was while he was praying that he was transfigured. There's nothing more transfiguring than prayer. If you want your life to be transfigured, pray. If you want your workplace to be transfigured, pray for it. If there's someone in your family that has wandered from the Lord and you want him to come back, pray. Prayer is the most transfiguring power in all the earth. We must pray. We must become a people of prayer once again. I believe the church in America has wandered from this truth, but we must pray. If we want God to transform this service into a hothouse of prayer, then we must pray before getting here. And, and listen, when I say, when it says, as was his custom, that means his habit. And when I think of a habitual person, I think of someone who does it, not just sometimes, not just every day even. When you think of a habitual smoker, what do you think of? Someone who's, pray, who's smoking what, habitually? Is a chain smoker. And listen, I'm not here to tell you that I'm not here to say, I'm not talking, oh, well, smoking's a sin. That's not what I'm here to say. But what I am using here is a cultural expression that defines habitual. When I think of a habitual smoker, I think of someone who's chain smoking. He'll take one cigarette and light up the next. And you know what? I think we need to become habitual readers and pray uh, of God's word and people of prayer that I am lighting up one prayer and letting it allow me to light up the next. I'm on fire with prayer and I'm just praying and praying and praying. And you know what? If it takes me a hundred times to pray for healing for this person to experience it, I will pray. I was in high school and, and I went to this summer camp. The Assemblies of God really love summer camps. And so I, I went and I re, the Lord just spoke to me about passion because I, this, this was the story of my life. In eighth grade, I, I'd, I'd go to this camp. I felt like the Lord just called me to ministry and I'd go home and I thought, whew, I'm on fire and I'm gonna change the world. And about two months after that, I was pretty much where I was before I went to camp. And every summer was the same story. I'd go to camp, come back on fire and then drift away. And the Lord said, listen, Dan, I need to just talk to you a little bit about passion. Passion is not the emotional high you get from being in my presence. It's not the emotional high you get. It, pr listen, passion is just the person who will stick to it. If I'm gonna be a passionate man of prayer, that means I pray no matter what. When I think of a person reading their Bible with great fervency, that's not passion. It's the person who will do it every day, no matter how boring it gets or how dry it might be or how dead you might feel, you do it anyways. That's passionate to me. That's why it's called the passion of Christ. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. That's scriptural. Father, if there's any way, 
allow this cup to pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. And that was the beginning of the passion of Christ. We've got to become passionate people of God's word and passionate people of prayer once again. And I'm, I'm praying to God, when you walk out of this, you want to be activated, then get these three habits ingrained in you. Be habitually passionate about God's word and about prayer. Pray, make time for prayer. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as, through, as though reflected in a mirror are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the spirit. As we gaze into his beauty, I believe we are being transformed into his beauty. As we gaze into his goodness, we are being transfigured into the image of God's goodness to the people around us. You want to be activated. You want to find provision for your mission. Then look at gaze into the face of God and allow him to change your life. Be transfigured for prayer is the most transfiguring power in the earth. Amen. Amen. Finally, the third habit, the third custom of Jesus that we will touch on today. Mark chapter 10, verse one, reading from the, New Revised Standard Version, he left that place and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds again gathered around him. And as was his custom, he taught them. The third habit is the habit of passing on to others what has been given to you. The third habit is the habit of discipleship. People who live an activated life have developed the habit of discipling others. E. Stanley Jones writes, it is the law of the mind that that which is not expressed dies. If you don't share it, then you won't have it. Jesus, as was his custom, again, taught them. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse 10 says, he who, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread, that's God, the provider, will supply and multiply your seed. He gives seed only to those who sow it. If you don't sow it, then you'll have nothing to sow. It says that he will give seed to the sower, meaning the person who sows, the sower is going to receive seed. It's in the midst of our mission and purpose on the earth that provision takes place. And listen, I believe that blessing is a provision for our assignment, not just a blessing for me to enjoy. Blessing is the seed that we must sow. When we come to church and we experience God's presence, man, go out and share that. When God gives you a word and you grow from that word, go out and share it. Because if you don't, then I believe that it dies within you. He also writes, those who do not pass on to others are themselves empty. The converted convert or they don't stay converted. 
We must become people who are determined to make discipleship a habitual aspect. Go therefore and make disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Can it be said of us today? Can it be said of you today that it is your custom to disciple? We make, we make this so hard on ourselves, I think. We begin to believe the lies of the enemy that we have nothing to give. Truth is, if you have nothing to give, you're in a great place because then all you have to give is God. Some of us allow shame or guilt to keep us. How can I, how can I disciple someone else? I, I've been struggling with sin, with doubt, with fear. How can I disciple somebody? But the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. I love James, the book of James, when he says, Elijah was a man just like us. He was a man just like us. He did all these great and wonderful miracles. He, he told the sky to be shut up from raining. And it did for three years. And then at a word, he speaks to the heavens and it rains. And James says, oh, but he's just a man. He's just a man, just like us. He's just like you. He's just like me. He had his weaknesses. He had his fear. He ran out into the de desert and said, woe is me, God. I wish I'd die. How many of you have ever been there? <laughs> There's no one left but me, Lord. And the Lord says, listen, son, I've reserved a remnant. And even Elijah discipled Elisha. I wanna invite you into the life of an activated person. Antioch Church, every single one of you, I wanna invite you into a greater place of activity in the Lord. And not busy work, but life-giving, purposeful, kingdom-oriented mission. That's what I wanna invite you into. Where receiving is giving and where giving is receiving. If you've been discouraged, be encouraged. If you've been afraid, then embrace God's love for you and establish these three habits. And listen, it's not three habits of salvation. As I said last week, disciplines are not the root of salvation, they're the fruit. And I understand that. So, so we're not talking about salvation, but what we're talking about is God, I am a son. If sonship is the heart of ministry, then these habits I believe are the, are the skeleton. And without these habits, 
then we're unable to move. But with these habits, we provide, it provides the framework upon which muscles can be built to accomplish his kingdom destiny for your life. Don't allow busyness to steal your destiny. Do not allow trouble to steal from your destiny. There are seasons when we must get away with the Lord. I believe that. But I believe these habits are not things that we can suspend even in the times of rest. And I would submit to you to consider this, that it is these very habits that open the door for us to enter into God's rest. We can experience a greater measure of rest if we come to the Lord as a son and as a daughter we kneel at his feet and say, God, I just want to read more about you. I just want to talk with you, Jesus. When this sermon first was birthed in my heart, David, what, two months ago now? It put such a fire in me. I had forgotten how much I had loved God's word. There were, there were times when I was growing up that I would, I would just weep at, at the red text. You know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? The red letter Bible. And, and listen, I wouldn't even read it. It just, I'd open it and I would see red and knew Jesus was talking to me. And I would weep. And I'd say, God, I love your word. I love your word. Come on, we need, we need Psalm 119 to come back to life in us. The thing is, I realized two months ago how far from that I had come. We all, like sheep, have wandered and been led astray. In Hebrews, the writer says, we need to get off milk and get on solid food. And he goes on to name milk and it's healings and, and people being raised from the dead. And, I, and, I, and I'm like, that's milk? <laughs> that seems like the target, doesn't it? It seems like the target is seeing healings or these manifestations of God's gifts. But God's saying, no, listen, that's the milk. You wanna know what the meat is? It's God's word. It's just being close to him. I think that's the meat. I can give a good example of this. Marriage is a great example of this. Man, before you get married and you just think, oh, it's gonna be awesome and I can't wait and, and, and every day is gonna be amazing. Listen, I've, I've, I'm only celebrating five years of marriage, so it was just yesterday that I felt this way. And I still do, baby. But you know what? It's, it's those great moments in marriage are built upon the back 
of good habits. Could it, could it possibly be the same in our relationship with the Lord? The meat of marriage, it's not just those high, it's not just the anniversary. It's, the, it's all the days in between. Being in relationship with my wife, talking, praying together, seeking to know one another's lives. That's the meat. That's the meat. Could it be the same in our relationship with the Lord? We're looking for, the, we're looking for miracles. We're looking for healings. We're looking for, but man, I just want to know the heart of Jesus. And from there, I believe that God activity happens. We, we begin to see differently. We see work differently. Are you with me this morning? I know that this seems elementary. I know. God knows that I know. I almost didn't do this sermon because I thought, ah, these guys too elementary. And the Lord said, don't you dare. Don't you dare substitute dynamic teaching for my word. The three habits of activated people. It's pretty simple. Not easy, but it's simple. Habitually read God's word, habitually pray, and habitually disciple others. Start today. You can start on your drive home. Start today. Share with your spouse, share with your kids what God is doing in your life. And I believe that as we establish these habits, man, we're going to see some testimonies of God's goodness and greatness. We're going to see testimonies. This is not a word of condemnation to you. Please hear me. Please, please just look at me. I, I know Caitlin's beautiful. She's walking across the stage right now and everybody's eyes are wandering. I see everybody look at me and go, <laughs> you're welcome. Joe, you can pay me later. Um, <laughs> listen, this is not a word of condemnation. This is God. I believe what God is doing right now is he's just Re-emphasizing that which is important. And he's just opening our eyes. So I just, in closing, I want, I want you to do this. Close your eyes with me. Go ahead, just close your eyes with me. This is a word of inspiration. This is a word to inspire you to greater heights in your relationship with the Lord. You wanna be activated. I know you do. I wanna see you activated. Now, I want, to, I want you to ask yourself this question. As you just, it's just you and the Lord. I want you to imagine you're just looking Jesus in the face right now. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, are these my customs? Are these 
the habits that define my life. Just allow the Spirit to speak to you. going to look the same for everybody. But just ask the Lord for you, yourself. What would you have, what would God have you do different today? And let's walk out of this place. A people of his word, a people of prayer, people who disciple.